You are listening to the Grace Covenant Church Audio Podcast. Well, last Sunday we began our series in the book of Nehemiah. And I encourage you, if you have not, if you were at the beach like half of Charlotte last weekend, I would really encourage you to take time to pull up the podcast or watch the video online. Pastor Farrell did a great job of setting the historical context of the book of Nehemiah for us as well. I think you'll really be inspired by his message to us to keep pounding in prayer. So to find out what that's all about, you'll have to listen to the prod, uh, to the podcast. We're calling this particular series that we're in, Building a Better World. And the reason that we're calling that is because as citizens of the kingdom of God, we all share a common purpose, and that is to build a better world to the glory of God. Would you agree? I've been reading the book of Nehemiah this week and reflecting as I've read, um, reflecting on the circumstances that our nation has experienced this week. And so this morning, I really want to challenge you as we um, focus on a message that is called Maximizing Opportunities. I want you to think of this message and process this message in your own way in in two different spheres. One, I want you to think about the lessons, identify the principles that we're going to go through, and see how they apply to your personal life in whatever season of life you happen to be in. But then I also want you to take this message and I want you to run it through the filter of the theme, really, of the book of Nehemiah, which is about a man who set his heart to rebuilding. Nehemiah knew that without strong walls and gates around the city of Jerusalem, that the Jewish people who had been permitted to be exiled there, to go back there, he knew that those individuals would be very vulnerable without the right walls around them. However, the book of Nehemiah is not about the building of walls. The book of Nehemiah is about one man who seized a divine opportunity to become a rebuilder, to solve a problem that was affecting a whole people group so that God's name would once again be great in a city and in a nation. When Nehemiah hears the, the, the disheartening news about his homeland, he's very He's emotionally distressed. He's disturbed. He's downcast. But instead of going to the airwaves and complaining and getting angry, he prays. And he doesn't pray for other people to be a solution to the problem that Jerusalem is facing. He prays, God, make me part of the solution. Position me. Grant me the favor to be a rebuilder in your name and for your people. Our nation today is facing broken walls. And those who desire to represent Christ in our world need to maximize opportunities to be rebuilders. We need to be rebuilders of trust, especially in the area of the racial division and the polarization and the increase of violence that's happening in our world that leaves us all feeling a little more vulnerable 
each morning. We need to be rebuilders of respect, especially in the area of taking time to listen to each other's perspectives and living out the life that Dr. Martin Luther King called respecting the sacredness of all human personality. We need to be rebuilders of peace, submitting our tongues to the Prince of Peace, especially in the area of how we are expressing our differing viewpoints. And we need to be rebuilders of hope, inviting the healing power of the Holy Spirit to those in our communities who have been bruised by the many forms that injustice takes. The beginning of Nehemiah's rebuilding process began with prayer. So I would like to invite us as a church to prayer this morning to pray for us as individuals and for our church in the times in which we're facing. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, the creator of every person sitting in this room, in our communities, and in our world, we humbly come before you today because our nation has broken walls. Our soul has holes, Lord. Jesus came into a world full of violence and oppression. And his response was to lay his life down so that others might come to know the living God. You have invited your church, your living body, to be bridge builders, to stand in the gap and to reflect the character of God into our world. Today, Lord, we must confess that for too long we've been internally focused and we have not risked the cost of being rebuilders. We ask this morning that you would give us wisdom, Lord, to do our individual part to right wrongs. We ask you to give us discernment and to expand the kindness in our heart as we wrestle with the complexities of the issues that we're facing in these times. We ask you, Lord, to revive our hearts. Help us become what you have called us to be, rebuilders and repairs of the breach, according to Isaiah 58. Lord, as individuals and as members of the body of Grace Covenant Church, we ask you to show us how we can affect the building of a better world. And we trust you to do that as we lay our lives before you today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you are turning to chapter 2 um, in your Bibles or iPhones, whatever you're using, I want to share with you a story about a Swiss engineer. Some of you may know this story of George de Mistral. He was a Swiss engineer who one day took his dog for a walk in the woods. 
And when he came home from that walk in the woods, his pant legs were totally covered with little burrs. They were stuck to his socks, inside his shoes, and his dog's hair was completely matted with these little tiny burrs. Well, George Mistral that day faced an opportunity that was disguised as a problem. And as he was untangling and pulling out all of the burrs off of the dog and off of his pants leg, he had an aha moment. And he took what was a problem and he saw it as an opportunity. Took some of the burrs, took them into his lab, put them under a microscope. And when he looked at these burrs, he noticed that they had these little minuscule hooks on them. And he thought to himself, what if I could mimic these burrs on fabric? And so he began a process of um, designing plans, submitting those plans. And after many years, seven years actually, one day George de Mistral received a patent. And that patent was for, you probably know the answer, that patent was for Velcro, exactly. Well, Nehemiah, like George de Mistral, lived beyond a problem that was presented to him. You know, everyone wants opportunity, but no one wants the problems that come with opportunity. We need to see problems like Nehemiah did as an opportunity for God to do something amazing through us. Let's listen and learn from Nehemiah as we read verses 1 through 8 out of chapter 2. And since the verses are going to be on the screen this morning, I'd like for everyone to read these verses together. Let's read. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sat in his presence before, so the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king said, then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? If it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall, and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. Nehemiah waited four months for God to move. 
chapter 1, verse 1, tells us that Nehemiah began to fast and pray in the month of Kislev, which is about the November-December time frame. And now, in chapter 2, he notes that it's the month of Nisan, which is about March to April time frame. After four months of praying, fasting, and waiting, one day he's just doing his job. He's serving at a special banquet. We know it's special because the queen is sitting beside the king. But he's serving at this banquet, and all of a sudden, God pops open the door of opportunity for Nehemiah to be able to make his request. When it comes to maximizing opportunities, the first thing we learn from Nehemiah is that time delays often precede opportunities. How many of you would prefer that God answer your prayers immediately instead of asking you to wait? Every single one of your hands should be up. If you enjoy waiting on God to answer prayer, I need to find out the secret of your success. (laughs) You know, um, several uh, months ago, I I found myself in a a situation where um, I was waiting in a doctor's office. And as I was waiting in this doctor's office, I found myself really tapping my foot, watching the clock. And as I read outdated magazines, um, I began to feel like I was being trapped in the land of standby. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, you just, you start thinking about all the things that aren't getting done and all the things you aren't accomplishing as you are waiting. In this instantaneous culture that we live in, waiting 30 minutes or 15 seconds for Netflix to pop up on our screen has become very challenging for us, hasn't it? But when God invites us to an opportunity to have to wait to see him move can be absolutely excruciating. For anyone who finds themselves in the waiting pacing the waiting room of God today, I want to give you a word of encouragement along with a word of caution. Don't confuse delays with deadlines. I'm sorry. Don't confuse delays with dead ends. My words are getting tangled up. This is the third time I've said this. Don't confuse delays with deadlines. Many times what happens is We think of delays as deadlines, so we put a comma at the end of a sentence thinking God's finished with something, when in fact, a delay is just a comma in our opportunity story. When living in the comma, we have to encourage ourselves. We have to say to ourselves frequently, I will keep seeking God, fully anticipating and trusting His perfect plan, Because his plan will unfold in his perfect timing, in his perfect way. I'm going to say that one more time. We have to continually encourage ourselves by saying to ourselves, I will seek God fully anticipating and trusting in his perfect plan because his perfect plan will unfold in his perfect timing because his ways are perfect. Habakkuk summed it up like this in chapter 2 verse 3. 
He says, faith in God includes faith in his timing. Faith in God includes faith in his timing. While Nehemiah was in God's waiting room praying and fasting about how to rebuild the wall, God was actually working on many unseen levels. He knew that one day he was going to swing that door of opportunity open for Nehemiah. So there were things that he had to accomplish in that time delay period. He had to instill greater confidence in Nehemiah. He had to instill greater courage in Nehemiah. He had to give Nehemiah some insights and some strategies so that he would be prepared for the moment that the king gave him permission to speak. He also had to work on the king's heart and prepare the king's heart to receive Nehemiah versus executing Nehemiah. And he had to work on the hearts of the people in Jerusalem that were going to be greeting Nehemiah when he arrived to rebuild the wall. Once the Lord opened the door of opportunity before the king, Nehemiah's character opened the way for him to speak to the king and avoid execution. His character positioned him for favor when the opportunity knocked. The the cupbearer to the king was no low-grade position in the court of the king. Think of it as like the personal aide or butler to the president of the United States, a person that had um, close access to the king and was intimately involved with the king whenever he ate. As a cupbearer, it was the king's duty to serve the king wine And to taste his food to ensure that it wasn't poisoned. Anybody want to apply for that job? (laughs) King Artaxerxes would have been very selective about who he put in this position. Because his father had been poisoned by a servant. Nehemiah would never have been promoted from being an insignificant prisoner of war to the cupbearer of the most powerful person in the world at the time if he had been an employee of questionable character. He was only assigned to this job because the king respected him. He saw qualities and character characteristics within Nehemiah that caused him to trust him. He respected his competency and his loyalty. Proverbs 22.1 states to us, A good name is more desirable than great wealth. And to be respected is better than silver or gold. A good name is very different from a big name. We have a lot of people in our culture now who seek after having a big name. But a good name is more valuable than a big name. A good name is Stephen Curry. A big name is Dennis Rodman. And I'd rather have a good name over a big name, right? If you tried to sell your name on eBay today, it probably wouldn't bring much money. But the fact is that if your name is associated with good character and a good reputation, your name has great value. If Nehemiah had been a person of poor character, even though he had a huge heart to rebuild the walls, 
he never would have been positioned to be able to petition the king for favor. Not only does character count when it comes to maximizing God opportunities, but so does planning. Nehemiah shows us that planning enables us to maximize opportunities. And all the people who love to wing it, um, work last minute, and just be spontaneous are sitting there saying, no, she's talking about planning. But hang with me because I'm not going to go into the seven habits of highly effective people. We're not going there. All I want to do is I want to make the point to you that during a time delay, Nehemiah did not just sit idly by and wait for God to do something. He took that time and he used it to plan and prepare for what he was going to say to the king and what the requests were going to be that he was going to make to the king. The king at the banquet realizes that Nehemiah has a sad demeanor. And once he realizes that that sad demeanor isn't because Nehemiah knows of a plot to take his life, the king allows Nehemiah, gives him permission to speak. And when that door of opportunity opens, Nehemiah is completely prepared. He has a thought-out plan. He says, In verse 3, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? You ever wonder why Nehemiah talked about his ancestors' graves? Why didn't he just go say to the king, I'm so glad you asked. I'd like to put in for three weeks sick leave, also take all my vacation leave. And if you wouldn't mind, add a little, you know, one month leave of absence because I've got this huge God opportunity before me. God's called me to rebuild these walls and I just really need you to get behind me and send me out. He didn't jump right into the request. He shares this thing about his ancestors lying in graves that are in ruins. The reason that he did that was because Nehemiah understood that in the Persian culture, your forefathers having a grave site of honor was really important. In other words, Nehemiah took some time to find common ground with the king. He started his conversation not by starting with the request of what he wanted or even talking about what the Lord wanted to do through him. He started the conversation on common ground. I think that's really good. That's really wise instruction to us. As we live to be rebuilders in our culture, as we live to rebuild broken relationships and live to rebuild strifeful situations that are taking place, we would be wise to take time and have conversation with people of differing cultures and backgrounds to find what's common ground between us instead of always focusing on our differences. Would you not agree? Once Nehemiah has connected with the king on a personal level, the king asks him how long he's going to be gone. And uh, what's this, what, what is it that you want from me? And at that moment, Nehemiah shares a very detailed and well thought out plan. 
Nehemiah knew that he wasn't going to get a second chance to ask the king for certain resources. So he had thought out in advance what he was going to need. He needed to be sent by the king. He needed to be safe, so he asked for particular letters. He needed supplies, so again, he asked for letters to the fellow who oversaw the royal park so that he could get timbers from that person. And he needed a suitable amount of time to build the wall. He had a plan. Does anybody recognize these folks? On the screen, these are, anybody watch Shark Tank? I love Shark Tank. Well, this is, the, this is the cast from the Shark Tank. And in case you don't watch the Shark Tank, what that is, is that's a program that allows entrepreneurs um, to bring their business presentations before a group of sharks, also invest, they're known as their investors. They bring their presentations to them, and then the sharks decide whether they're going to invest in the business or not and help take it to the next level. Well, it's quite an opportunity for anybody who gets to be on the program because the sharks have invested over $53 million into businesses so far. Well, I read about a young fellow who a couple years ago had the door of opportunity open to him to present on the shark tank. His name was Dwight Littlejohn, and he was the creator of the Total Tie Keeper. I have no idea what the product was, but that's what it was called. Do it. Anyway, when he walked out onto the, uh, into the shark tank, he walked out with a very commanding presence. He was a federal agent, so he exuded lots of confidence. And when he was explaining his product, um, he was very inspirational and really described it in a way that captured all of the shark's attention. The sharks loved his product, and they were clearly impressed with Dwight. But Dwight left the shark tank without a nickel of investment from any of the sharks. Can anybody guess why? He didn't have a he didn't have a plan. No plan, no door of opportunity opened to him. Nehemiah understood that he needed God to turn the heart of the king. But once God turned the heart of the king towards him, Nehemiah knew he needed to be prepared with a plan. After the king gives a green light to Nehemiah to exercise his um, desire to go to Jerusalem, Nehemiah packs up a caravan and takes two months to travel two thousand uh, takes two months to travel a thousand miles. In other words, he made the the travel of Charlotte to Dallas on a whole bunch of camels. I bet they arrived smelling pretty ripe. Anyway. When he got to Jerusalem, he surveys the situation and the walls are in a much worse condition than he ever anticipated. He realizes that the challenge is quite large. And so once again, he sends up a prayer to the Lord and asks the Lord for insight on what to do. And the Lord gives him a plan uh, to carry out for the next 52 days. When he knows that he's received a plan from the Lord, he gathers the people around him and he inspires them to step out in faith. So let's, let's pick the story up at verse 16. And again, let's read these scriptures. Let's read this together. 
The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because yet I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or the officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we're in? See, he didn't, he didn't deny, he didn't deny that they were facing a big challenge. He was realistic about it, but he didn't get stuck in the problem. Um, Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Can you go back to the previous scripture? Look at verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. That's a great verse to highlight in your Bible or in your technology. And I'll tell you why in just a second. You know about reflexes, right? Ever been to the doctor, sat on the table, white papers on the table, he asks you to cross your legs, brings out that little metal, rubber metal thing and dings you and you go boing, you know, and your leg kicks right out, right? Reflexes, just a responsive, a, a responsive reaction. Well, I think a lot of times when the door of opportunity knocks in our lives, I think we have a responsive reaction. I think our heart goes boing. But our reaction is to start counting all the reasons why we can't seize the opportunity. We start to look. Our natural reflective, um, reflexive reaction is to think about what we lack. The finances we lack. The education we don't have. The abilities we don't have. The time we don't have. And the list goes on and on. You see, divine opportunities have one thing in common. They are bigger than us. They require us, they require us to step out of our natural abilities and trust God. They require us to step out in faith. Nehemiah shows us that to maximize opportunities, we have to walk by faith and not by sight. Because faith turns opportunities into realities. Last uh, weekend, 4th of July weekend, my husband and I left on Sunday afternoon and went to the mountains and just took a little break and stayed in this bread and breakfast that had a lovely, beautiful backyard. And later at night, as the cool, as the temperature had cooled down a little bit, we went out and sat on these Adirondack chairs and just kind of got into a reconnecting conversation and found ourselves having a very interesting conversation as we were sharing what we would tell our 20-year-old selves. Now, I know some of you that are young are probably going, you can remember back that far, but um, it wasn't that long ago. And... Um, Anyway, we just started kind of reflecting. What, what would I tell 21-year-old Michelle? What would he tell 25-year-old Walt now that we've had, you know, these other years on the other side of our 20s? And um, uh, the conversation obviously drifted a little bit into the area of regrets and the things that we've We've just regretted that we didn't take advantage of or some of the decisions that we made. And 
This morning, I, I just thought I'd share with you one of the regrets. I'm not giving you my whole list, but I thought I'd share with you just one of, one of my regrets. And that is, I regret the opportunities that I let slip away because I wasn't confident like Nehemiah that the gracious hand of God was on me. I wish it was possible to get a mulligan for the opportunities that I've declined because I was more focused on my abilities and my lack thereof than I was focused on the ability of God to do things through me. I've, I've missed some things because my calculations have been off. I've looked at the bank account instead of God's bank account. I've looked at my abilities instead of his abilities. I've looked at my resume instead of seeking him for his divine plan for my life. And I want to encourage you today that if you find yourself on the precipice or on the ledge of deciding whether to maximize a divine opportunity or to shrink back from an opportunity, I want to encourage you today to remember that the gracious hand of God is upon you if you are a follower of Christ. I want to encourage you to rise up and seize your opportunity by, by deciding to live with a daring confidence that God is for you. And if he's calling you to something, he won't leave you hanging. If he's inviting you to something, he is right there with you. He will shepherd you through it. He will give you, he will provide for you what he's calling you to. But you have to daringly step out of your comfort zone and engage with the opportunity by faith. By faith. You know, faith is saying, I will do my part and trust that God will do his part. Remember Elijah? He had to drink from a brook and then God provided the raven to feed him. David had to pick up a slingshot, then God made sure that the rock went right into the middle of Goliath's forehead. The disciples had to collect the loaves and the fishes, and then God multiplied a few loaves and a few fish to feed 5,000. Our action and faith coupled together produces great things. Jeremiah 17 says, 17.7 says, Blessed is the man who believes and trusts in and relies on the Lord and whose hope and confident expectation is in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 4, 5, and 6 tell us, Do not lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge the Lord and he will direct your paths. One of the greatest lessons that we learn from Nehemiah is that we should be con if is that if we should constantly be preparing for the opportunities God will bring our way. If you've prepared, 
then when the opportunity arises, you'll be able to see it and seize it by faith. Three years ago, this coming August, next in just a few weeks, three years ago, God captured the hearts of several leaders at Grace Covenant Church in the midst of the Willow Creek Global Summit. There was a video that came on during that particular summit about how Willow Creek Church in the, on the outskirts of Chicago had um, decided to meet the needs of their community in a new way. And it was an inspiring video. I remember I was sitting the second row from the back on this particular aisle. I'd just come home from a missions trip, so I was kind of sitting in the back. And I leaned forward at the end of that video, and I whispered to a person who was sitting in front of me, now that's worth giving your life to. Little did I know that God had captured the hearts of several other people on staff during that particular time, and he was inviting us to a divine opportunity. The next month in September, we went to a staff planning retreat, and at that planning time, it was confirmed throughout the staff that the Lord was inviting us to research what it would take to develop some kind of a care center for our community. Well, we began to have conversation about it, and of course, the Grace Covenant way was, let's dive in there, get it done, make it big, 50,000-story square foot building, you know, blow it up, biggest and best, and, and as, we, as we were kind of seeking God and praying and trying to hear a vision from the Lord, time delays popped up. And in the midst of those time delays, God began to recalibrate our hearts. He began to align our vision with his vision. And it wasn't to be some big monstrosity sitting out there on the baseball field. God began to just call us and say, hey, Jesus moved into the neighborhood. Why don't you guys move into the neighborhood too? Take Jesus to the neighbor's. And so we began to adjust our plans in the midst of that time delay. And then as we had to move into the zoning process, we had the wonderful experience of finding out that goodwill was before us because Grace Covenant had such a good name, that there had been a reputation that had been developed over 40, 50 years in this community. And that good reputation, that good character was paving the way for us to be able to walk through the zoning process with goodwill from our city leaders. And then as we went through that process, we began to make plans. We began to lay out plans of where did we need to be and what would the care center look like and what were the programs that the community needed and our plans were part of we interviewed 40 residents and 42 leaders and you know we just we were designing plans while God was at work in that zone at whole zoning process and then one day it kind of all came together and we knew we had a sense of direction from the Lord we had some basic architectural plans and then God said you got to step out and we had to step out in faith and we had to invite the church all of you 
into the vision. We had to invite you to share your treasure. We had to invite you to think about how would you spend your time at the care center and would you serve on a bike repair team and or would you serve in the step up program or the jobs for life program? Would you be a Spanish translator for some people in our community? Would you um, want to serve in the homework room, helping some kids to do their homework after school? And so we began to ask you to step out in faith and to come to some volunteer orientation meetings and hear more things about the care center. In fact, we're still having orientation. It's not too late to get involved. But I say all of that because we had to pray. We faced time delays. We had to work on a plan. We had to, we had to step out in faith ask people for donations of products. It has been amazing to me. I just shared last week the list of companies that have donated product to the care center. It's just phenomenal. But every one of those conversations was was stepping out in faith to say, would you sow into this? I know it's a church project, but would you sow into this? And people in our community have just been so gracious to us. Can I just tell you, if we hadn't done any of those things, if we had let the time delays discourage us, if we had not planned and and put together a well-thought-out plan, if we had not stepped out in faith, we would not be having a grand opening in September. There'd be no roof on that building right now. We would have let it go to the wayside. I believe that God has invited people in this room into all, to step into all kinds of opportunities. Maybe he's invited you to something months and months and months ago and you didn't seize the opportunity because you were looking at your resume or your bank account or you were listening to those chirping words of past mistakes saying you failed once before, you won't succeed again. Or maybe the Lord has just recently burdened your heart with an opportunity and you're weighing today whether to walk through the door or not. Can I encourage you today? Step out in faith. Get out of the boat and trust God with the rest. You do what you can do and let God do what he does. Seize your opportunity. Seize your opportunity. Maybe it's to go back to school. Maybe it's to pursue that promotion. Maybe it's to bring restoration to a relationship. Or maybe it's just to be a rebuilder of the, a repair of the breach by having conversation with someone who's very different from you. Whatever opportunity God is knocking on your heart today, I want to pray for you that he'll give you the faith to seize it and pursue it. If you'd like that prayer, would you just raise your hand this morning? Do you, are you facing an opportunity and you'd like prayer of encouragement? Just raise your hand. Thank you. Let's bow and let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I pray today for every person who's raised their hand that they've either met an opportunity and they've let it slip and they want you to revive it and restill it in their heart. And I want to pray for people, Lord, who have a fresh sense of an opportunity that's before them. Lord, I ask you to help them maximize it. Uh, Lord, I ask you to give them supernatural patience in the midst of the time delays. 
I ask you to help them devise a plan. I pray that you would gather people around them that would help them to strategize and and put a plan together so that, Lord, on the day when they're able to make their requests known and make the big ask, everything is ready for when that door swings open. And Lord, I pray that you would give them faith. I pray that you would build their confidence in you. I pray that you would give them courage, Lord, to trust you, to put more trust in you than they put in their own natural abilities. I pray that you would change their eyesight, Lord, not to see what they don't have, but to see what you do have, who you are. And Lord, that they would just believe that you would water their belief to believe, Lord God, that you want to do something glorious and mighty and magnificent through them. And Lord, for all of us in this room today, I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to see and seize opportunities to build a better world whether that's in our families, whether that's in our work relationships, whether that's in the public uh, arena of discourse and conversation, whether that's with our neighbors, our community leaders. God, help us to be people who don't tear down walls but who are rebuilders of walls. Help us to be bridge builders. Help us to be the repairs of the breach and not be afraid to walk into situations and risk our reputation in order to make Jesus love, grace, and mercy known to others. Lord, thank you. I pray that building a better world will mark each one of us as we live our lives for you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.